0: Hi, this is Dee Dee of Brown Girls Booking. As a reminder, we upload every Wednesday or every other week or bi-weekly. We'd like to thank you for listening. And if you love the show, please follow our social media. We can be found at Brown Girls Booking on Instagram and Facebook. We also have a Patreon and your support helps us with our production costs, which we appreciate. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Hi, I'm Didi. And I'm Christy. And we are Brown Girls Booking. And this is a show from two readers
0: looking for known and unknown narratives in familiar and unfamiliar spaces.
1: We're two girls reading literary fiction widely. If there's a topic or theme that's been written about, then it's a topic or theme we want to talk about. So this week, we are discussing The Enchanted April by Elizabeth von Arnim. And this is in keeping with are books of the decade, which are books read that were written in the 1920s. And this is also set around that time after the First World War. Yeah,
0: mostly in Italy. Yes. The beginning is in England and then we move quickly to Italy and that's just the charm of this particular novel. I think if this novel would be a song, I would say it's a little ditty.
1: Just nice. Such a delight. And, and we've both been extremely pleased by this because we just stumbled across this novel. I, I don't know about you, but I never heard of it? Obviously I've never people
0: heard have. Of, of this novel, but I've heard of the author's name. So okay. I hadn't put anything together. So I can't say, you know, that I have read anything by this author. And so having read The Enchanted April, I feel like, yeah, I would like to read something else by her.
1: Yeah. This book was highly readable. We follow four, four British women, women of differing class mm-hmm who respond to an ad in the paper to rent a castle in Italy. It's for April and the first two women, Miss Wilkins
0: and Miss Arbu Nott, that decide to rent this castle quickly realize maybe they should have some other people rent with them so that it'll be cheaper for them yes so they go on this journey it's 1920s Airbnb it's really good yeah it's like Airbnb so they find these other two ladies the Lady Caroline yes who's this kind of chic young smolderingly attractive all men's heads turn when she comes into the room she basically wants to get away from her I guess you could say her overly active social life she's expected to be at all these parties and she just wants to go somewhere where she can just be forgotten if
1: possible you know what I thought about with regard to Lady Dester Carolyn Dester and what she was going through in my mind is suffering from something that Was only ever attributed or is typically attributed in literature to rich men of means, which is Ennui. Exactly. She's suffering from Ennui. She is bored with her life, disdainful of her life because she's so beautiful. She's aware that the things that are Given to her and the ways in which she's interpreted is only done so through the lens of this beauty. And so she wants to retire from the society, the privileged society that she is a part of. I like though the way she calls people grabbers.
0: Yeah. I thought that was it's so funny. So true though, though. She's like, she
1: looks at somebody and goes, Oh, he's a grabber. He's a grabber. She's a grabber. grabber. (laughs) I so enjoyed the use of language and the turns of phrases in this particular book. And every single character has their own intonation. So like with Carolyn Dester, it's grabber. It's genius because you could say that today. People do. Because what she really means is a hanger on. It's just like you can't get away, you know, kind of thing. So if I had to rate based on societal construct of class. Yeah. Mrs. Fisher is next in line in terms of upper crust yeah. after Lady Dester. Mrs. Fisher is clearly landed gentry. So so yeah. like in olden times, she would have been like the daughter of a squire. She's always name dropping. She's yes. very
0: critical when others don't, you know, they're not at the standard in which she thinks they should have. And she is a vestige
1: because she's older. Mrs. Fisher's time, her heyday was the Age of Innocence yeah. time. She came around and came of age in the eighteen seventies. Or 1880s, yeah. and so the names that she drops have fallen out of fashion for these younger the people. And these women, the one who she disdains the most, Lottie Wilkins, yeah, Wilkins, seems to be the one who is the most read and who cottons on to the name dropping. She's of her. Also, the most
0: in tune to what people want and what Hilly. what they're doing. Like yes. she's not, she listens to what people say. She takes all the cues. Fisher, she does the exact opposite. She's not really listening to what people say. She's
1: rude. It's so funny because Mrs. Fisher and Mrs. Wilkins are foils of one another, right? And Mrs. Fisher sees Lottie Wilkins as rude, where what Lottie Wilkins really is, is honest and compassionate. And she just has zero time for anything that's not the truth. And she's not given to subtext, whereas Mrs. Fisher is genuinely rude and snobbish. Yeah. I
0: like the fact that you have these four women. None of them is perfect. They all have something no. a little bit, you know. You or snide like, like, or I sanctimonious. Like that's, that's good, because in this kind of a novel, you're going to expect it to be so cut and dry, like, oh, she's good. Oh, she's bad or whatever. Yes. It's not like that at all. I feel like it's very realistic because the author gives us the layers that we need. You know, you don't just get gray. You get shades of gray. She does that really well. It's more believable what we are reading.
1: She also does a really good job of bringing to the forefront the truth of any situation where people who don't know each other live together. The first person who picks off the idea of renting this castle is Lottie Wilkins, Lottie Wilkins, who is the member of the same ladies club yeah. as Rose, who she knows from church, who works with the poor. And she in the club has read about this castle and sees that Rose is reading about it as well yes, and says, let's yeah. do this. We both seem miserable And Rose is just like, I don't know you. So what I would say is Lottie is like the seer. Her inner eye is really working. When she gets to Italy, it's exercised with much more compassion and and much more generosity. But it's functioning when she's in England. And she uses that inner eye and hones in on the misery of Rose and says to Rose, let's do this thing. I see that you're looking at this trip. I know you from sight. I know you don't know me from Adam, Mm -hmm. but... Let's, let's do this. And Rose Albert eventually says, okay. Okay. I feel like going away for
0: all four women, because I think this is like the major theme in the book is an awakening to some sort.
1: We have Lottie who just has no regard for anything but the truth. She's
0: probably the smartest one in the group. She's the most intelligent. She's able to read everyone
1: there. Like there is nothing getting pulled over her eyes, you know? No, she's like, oh, I see the situation. Now let me do the read and now let me act accordingly. Once she hits Italy, Lottie has said to herself, I am truly in heaven on earth. Yeah. There is is nothing that is going to take away from my experience and being in this beautiful place and experiencing every beautiful moment. She's the definition of living her best life.
0: Yeah. And I feel like everybody should strive to be a Lottie. Yes. Because I think you could live life better if you could strive to be a Lottie because she's someone who is recognizing what other people need, but she's not letting anybody drama
1: get her down the theme of self-care which is really what Lottie has decided to engage in is so pervasive with the character that I was stunned it's what a classic does a classic translates over time the situation they're in
0: it's a situation you can say well this is human you know if you put four people together on a holiday it's a lot like some of the reality shows we see I would say for about the first third of the book we hear Mrs. Lady and then name Lottie And the only one who doesn't have one is Mrs. Fisher. Yeah. And I think that's just because Mrs. Fisher is supposed to be... Older. And these other women are still fairly young. And it's almost like it shows us the point in which these women are, are starting to get a little bit closer. San Salvatore is having an effect on them. That's the name yes. of the the place where they're staying. So yes. It's a good effect on them because now you're hearing Rose, you're hearing Scrap, you're hearing, you know, you're hearing their nicknames and or their first names. And I think that is, that's where you, you where we as readers start to relax more as well because we're getting used to them You know, going and having these funny meals together where they have really funny conversations. And how that whole situation about, oh, she's not here. She said she had a headache. But I thought it was really funny because right away, Lottie said she does not have a headache. No, she doesn't. Yeah, Yeah, Caroline does. She's
1: like, I don't, I don't have a headache. I don't have a headache. And and what I loved about that exchange was, I mean, Mrs. Fisher comes out there. And once she realizes Lady Caroline doesn't have a headache because Lady Caroline tells her, she says, well, so hold on. I have my walking stick and I come all the way out here to check on you. <laughs> and and you're not even sick? And Lady Caroline says to her, well, isn't it so much better to come and check on me and find out that if I'm well? Well,
0: exactly. That, that was a real read right there. I thought it was... I was fun. just like... Yes, girl. Yes. It was good.
1: It was good. And but she was another one she who could
0: read a room. This is why they're both kind of rude to a certain extent is because yeah. they're unwilling to read past a line. It's like when you're in a room and you know that people don't want you to be there. You right. continue to act like, well, I'm going to stay. It's this refusal to really communicate and understand what right. somebody actually needs and what they really want. And it's a, a choice. It's a choice.
1: It's a choice, a of choice to be obtuse. obtuse. And of the two, Lady Fisher is, of course, seemingly so much more obnoxious. But if you really think about Caroline and the fact that Lady Caroline is pretty much saying to everybody, suck it. Yeah, I want to be alone. She is fully saying that and the lens of the beauty with which everything is interpreted. And so all of her rudeness is swept away. When I stepped back and I stepped away from the book, I was like, she might actually be more rude than Miss Fisher. She's just beautiful. And even as a reader, I gave her a pass that I did not afford Miss, I did. I I did. I I could not believe it.
0: Like the whole way she arrives there one day early and they're like, oh, we want to make sure you've got the best room. She goes, no, I got it myself. Thank you. (laughs) like, oh my God. Yeah, no, no. Like I knew
1: she was being rude. But for me, I was reading her rudeness as less offensive.
0: But that goes with that character because as we see Mm -hmm. later on when Mr. Briggs shows up and Mr. Briggs is the man and who owns owns his castle and rents yes. out, he decides to show up because he's interested in seeing Rose again. Yes. He thinks she's one of the war widows. And yes. so that's the thing that kind of brings him to the castle. When he shows up and he takes one look at Lady Caroline, it's he over. He can't stop looking at her. He becomes a grabber. And that's exactly what she said. Oh Lord, I can see that he's a grabber. I need to get out of here. <laughs> Why am I gonna get out of this room and go down into the garden without being seen by the
1: grabber? you know, kind of thing. I mean, she is, she's constantly surveying the room to see what people want of her. It is justified. The reason she's doing it is because people want stuff from her. They want stuff
0: from her. They always want something. Yeah. Especially Um,
1: men. Speaking of men, one of the first dinners that all four women sit down together and Lottie Wilkins says, because she's so infused with beauty and love and generosity, I've been cruel to my husband. I've been as exacting as he has been. And I, Husband is very exacting so her husband in England is a lawyer he's stingy he yeah. makes her save this nest egg of her own money and she money. she's choking in the severity of their marriage and yeah. the formality of their marriage yeah. and his dismissal of her on all levels and so she concocts this plan to go away and tells him that the trip in in Italy is actually an invitation mm. that she got from Rose while on the trip very shortly into the trip I want to say Day two or day three, she says, I have to write him and invite him to come. I've been mean to him. But the conversation about men come up and Carolyn, Lady Carolyn is incredibly interested in this relationship that one can have with another person who seems so disinterested in their mate because that is not her experience. Mm. And Fisher's sensibilities are being offended because she was just like, why are we talking about marriage in this way? Why is Lady Carolyn in that? next to nothing. And she mentions Lady Carolyn being in next to nothing and and how harmful it can be. And drinking too much wine. And Lottie then says, isn't it funny how in the absence of men, there's almost no way that women can be harmful. Exactly. Which I thought was very telling because in my mind, I read it as sexuality. But then I also thought to myself, the irony of that statement is typically the way that women can be mean to each other. It's less, harmful if the facilitation of men aren't there. And so timing is important in this book because ultimately Lottie Wilkins' husband does come. Does come but yeah. when she has established herself much more as the kind of individual whose confidence and sense of self cannot and will not be shaken. Mm. And then her husband comes. And I loved when he came in and how he came in. He is in a state of undress. The writer takes off all of his clothes. He's like and in
0: lives. his bathtub. He's supposed to keep the water running. Or explosion or something. And so he decides to turn it off. And, and
1: the, the heater fire. explodes.
0: It explodes. And he's in the yes. bathtub butt naked and he jumps out of the bathtub. And, and, and he, runs
1: into yeah. Lady Desta. Yeah. He runs into the two most upper crust people. And they're just kind of uh, like... <laughs> you know, he he composes himself. He
0: just acts like he's wearing clothes, but he's he not. He does, because no. he has
1: to, right? But, but, yeah. but it does put him out of sorts in a way that I thought was an important introduction for him that makes him vulnerable and his wife isn't there.
0: All of the men's entrances are funny to a certain extent. They're absurd. So then you have Briggs co- shows up. There's a telegram that arrived, I think, before he, his arrival. If I'm not mistaken. Yes. Who reads the telegraph? Rose. Yes. So when she reads the telegraph, her face is just worry. Oh, no, no, no. It's just uh, Mr. Briggs is going to come and, get, and pay us a visit. She's just really disappointed that it's not her husband.
1: Rose's. maybe we should give our listeners some context. Rose's yeah. relationship with her husband is complicated. They in, don't have in, a
0: relationship anymore. Yeah. They, they have, have different rights. lives.
1: Yeah. They're estranged. He's
0: sort of like a romance writer. So she writes about you know. the mistresses
1: of yeah. royalty.
0: So I expected a, some titillating things in there. Yes. That's what bothers Rose. You know, like, you know, God wouldn't like it. If he could read these terrible things, he wouldn't like them kind of thing. But yeah. she desperately does love him. Yeah, she does.
1: Is she doesn't good? know how to convey it. Yes. Yeah, and Lottie, about. Lottie who has written... Written her husband has had her husband come has had her husband not be one by the yeah. beauty of Carolyn Desta, mm-hmm. and almost speaks into being a renewed relationship with her husband because yeah. she expects the best of her husband. And so then her husband actually puts forth his best. He comes there yeah. with all of these intentions that he is at first acting out that then becomes the truth because he's yeah. just like, I am grateful to Lottie. She is incredibly intelligent. She yeah. is so beautiful beautiful
0: yeah. and he sees his wife with a different beauty you know that he had he hadn't seen before All of those recollections and going back to love and that kind of thing, it just, it gets enhanced with the fact that they're in Italy, in San Salvatore, which is on a hill. This is not a place that people are just going to be wandering up on. And so that makes it really secluded. It almost makes it like a little mini utopia. And then there's a lot of talk about falling, cascading, wisteria and all kinds of, you know, beautiful flowers, you know, symbolism, you know, of love. Yes, fertility and no beauty. So she's setting it to be a place that is very um, idealistic for people to refine themselves
1: and like solidify themselves. And I'm really happy that you mentioned the setting. There is a contrast between the UK, specifically Hampstead and (laughs) and Italy. Personification is heavily drawn upon and metaphor in this book. The writer uses these two places. They become characters themselves because they're characteristic. Characteristics yeah. Are kind of like a demarcation. Lottie before and Lottie after. Lottie after, Lottie, all, Lottie, have, like that. Every, all have that. Everybody has that. And now we have this cast of four women and the men that they are attached to and the ways in which the constraints of Society are removed because they have each removed themselves from society. Yeah,
0: it's just the the four of them now, and then you add the three men, and there's some changes that happen. Even Ms. Fisher changes.
1: What I loved too was these four women get to have this time together where the initial foundation of the change gets made before the men come on the scene. Yeah. So that when the change happens, there's some internal stuff going going on in all of them. So it's about not the, about the plot.
0: The connection between these women and... Yes, yes how this holiday changes them and this is what changes a lot of people sometimes
1: going back to that first dinner where Lady Fisher's sensibilities are offended so deeply because Lottie is openly talking about the complications of her marriage and I will never ever read or hear in a British accent the word really 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 (laughs) and not think about not think about Miss Fisher I was like oh my goodness if the word really could convey yeah anywhere and anytime as yeah. much as it conveyed coming from the mouth of that woman during yeah, that everything, dinner everything. everybody's listening it yeah. said so much
0: yeah she really because like in the very beginning i think it was mrs fisher said always being there is the essential secret for a wife
1: yes you must show up see him off i was just like girl look okay girl <laughs>
0: And then there was a funny line from Lottie. One, okay, she did the roses and the bricks, but she did this one. It's a tub of love.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: there was another phrase. I think it was Lady Caroline that said that. You didn't take your clothes to parties. They took. They you. took
1: you. <laughs> That was okay. Lady okay. Caroline. Okay, yes. Girl.
0: There were some really good lines from, from the ladies, but I like the way it was written because you have it written as if you're in the head of each woman at different times. Yes. It's not just told from one woman's point of view. It's told from all of their points of view. You're in their head. And then sometimes you hear you hear the conversations as well. I thought the dialogue
1: was excellent. It was almost like farcical. It was pippy. Yeah. It was back and forth. It's I love actually
0: that. something I could see this being done as a theater play. So easily. I think I yeah. want a Tony. You can watch the film on YouTube. Which I think I will. It's a, it's a BBC
1: production, yeah. Oh, okay. I think I might watch it and see what they did with that. Yeah. The other uh, thing um, that I wanted to talk about in terms of good. the way that the novel was set up, and again, I'm going to make these echoes. You know, it's not polyphonic in the traditional sense, but because we see the the four narratives, it's almost yeah. a polyphonic narrative. This, this book was just a joy. It was a joy and a delight. Yeah. I, I
0: highly recommend it. I think it's... Everybody evolves. I highly recommend it for people who are afraid of reading classics. Yes. Because this one, it's very easy to get sucked into the story. The characters are all really interesting. The storyline is not difficult. The book is not long. It's not even 300 pages. No, it is not, not. But enjoying. she gets a lot in there. It's very good. And I really do feel like it would be great as a play. The BBC movie, I watched it this morning and I thought... <gasps> you it did it. Yeah, you I did. Oh, yeah, I'm totally going to watch, gonna watch it. 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 About an hour and a half. It's on YouTube. Mm. You know, maybe re- maybe watch the 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 movie YouTube show the movie and then try to hit the book afterwards. But I promise you, this is probably one of the more approachable classics you could you know attempt to read if you're, if yeah. you're not used to reading classics. It was great. I enjoyed
1: it. So our next book mm-hmm. is "There Is Confusion," another yeah. Harlem Renaissance book by a. Black American writer yeah. Jesse Redmond Fawcett. I'll quit.
0: So stay tuned. Bye. Thank you. Bye.